is the person you turn to when you need advice, the person who gives you confidence and strength, the person who's been your biggest support, the person you shop with, ask their opinion and trust them implicitly. For me, it's... Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. As a mother and daughter, we know we have a close bond, but each mother and daughter relationship is unique and different, and that's exactly what we want to explore. Each week, we'll sit down with mothers and daughters and talk about their bond, from the ones who work together to others who have survived, shared passions, overcome loss, and in general, have a great relationship that is worth sharing. This is Mothers Mothers and Daughters Daughters Podcast. Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. Another week. How's your week? Groundhog Day. No different. Same for the next month? Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Insert awkward silence. Okay, moving on. It's very hard to sort oh. of say, what have you been doing? Because Every not much. Every day is the same. Not much. There's like no distinction between weekday, weekend. No. Because the kids, well, Mason's not, but Cooper's home all day. Every day. It's lovely, 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 lovely and bonding. bonding. Yeah, right. And I've just got more golf and more walks and. I know. I'm playing golf cooking, again. Cooking. I'm playing golf again. Oh, yeah. Lucky you. Well, because we can, thank goodness. And the weather's been quite beautiful. And so it's lovely to get out in the fresh air. I'm even tempted to pick up golf just so I can leave for a couple of hours. Yes. Who am I kidding? I don't want to. Just wanted to ask if you had any catch-up news on Michaela from our podcast yeah, of this uh, week. Nothing yet. She is getting ready for her pageant. Uh, that's this weekend. That is this weekend. Oh, very exciting. So very exciting. So we'll have news for you on our next episode. We'll keep you up to date and we'll also post it on socials when we find out. So Yeah, good luck, best Michaela. Best of luck, Michaela. Mm. We're thinking of you and yes. we're... Rooting for you, and I know you can. Doesn't matter what place she comes, she's going to be so thrilled she got there in the end. Yes, I mean I think that's all part of her journey, and just the happiness that she projects for everybody. Yeah, is just an achievement in itself. A hundred percent. Yeah. So this week we had the pleasure of speaking to Baha and her mum Mina. Baha runs Rescue and has the Rescue Academy and has a podcast as well called Ageless. And on top of that is about to launch an EMAG. So she's just busy woman. Busy, busy, busy. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the beauty industry and helping entrepreneurial women. She's extremely delightful to chat to. Yes, as as is as her, her mother. Uh, they are the most beautiful Elegant and her mother, Mina, graceful. I, I mean, know. we were Very obviously well had the pleasure of obviously not only recording with them, but seeing, seeing them. them. And obviously, lockdown has not affected them in the slightest. <laughs> They're dressing up, not dressing down. Oh, honestly, I Baha have taken the dressing down. Magnificent. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful, her hair glowing, and her mother. It was just anyway. It was so. It was just wonderful. Really, a joy to interview them. It really was, which is why we have yet another two-part episode because we spoke for a very, very long time. 
and could have spoken oh my even longer. Honestly, yeah. it was just we sort of in the end had to say kind goodbye. Of short yeah, and, it was very sad. Too. Yeah, anyway, we were very grateful for their time because I know Bahar is a very busy woman and a mom as well. So she's homeschooling on top of it. But I think she's embracing it. They're doing a lot of beauty treatments together, her yes, and her daughter. Yeah, very sweet. Which I think is a lot of fun. That's a good distraction. I can't do that with the boys. Yeah, I know. I got yes, them they to were, paint my yeah, nails. She was talking oh about how yeah, they you know, do their mask treatments every Exercise. night. And, it's so nice. Yeah. It's nice to start traditions because she's obviously been handed down the same sort of looking after yourself mm. from her mum and, and then from her grandmother. She was saying, you know, they've still got family yes. overseas and there's a, just a long lineage of beauty, self-care, and but also just a really positive attitude. Yeah, they have a wonderful relationship together, don't they? Yeah, like it's failures, um, pivoting, mm, it didn't matter. They're just super positive about everything. Mm, very, very loving. Yeah, it's nice in this time. It was actually very uplifting It was, afterwards. it was. So we hope it does the same for you. Yes. And yes, we'll be back with part two with Baha and Mina next week. Stay safe, everybody. Enjoy. See you soon. Okay. Well, I'll start with the first question to both of you, and we can decide who goes first. Can you tell us a little bit about your backgrounds? I'll let mummy go first. (laughs) My background, I come from very large and very close family, seven uh, brother and sister, and my mother. Um, we were very lovely together family, and we keep that relationship until today. Mm-hmm. We learn from mommy, my mother, to be kind to each other, to be close to each other, respect each other, and that was the base of my character, my children' character, and everybody's family member of family what we learn from our mother. So I come from a large family and very family-oriented person, worked very hard. I had very good life in Iran um, and very happy person at the present time. That's so lovely. I used to be a teacher for um, deaf and mute children and mm. uh, an adult. I was manager of big um, organization in Iran, and I had 40 employees. Then I never had any English. I wasn't fluent. I am not still fluent in English, but um, I know a little bit of French. I studied uh, life coaching and business coaching as well. I did some study, and I feel happy. I feel very happy person. That's so nice. It's a nice intro. Very, yeah. very lovely it's intro. I think we've had. Yeah, it's true. Especially oh. in this time, especially in this day and age, it's nice when people say that they're happy. I love that. Mm-hmm. Always happy. I think Mum's um, intro is really true because um, we come from a long line of very close uh, family members, and you know, Mum is one of seven kids, uh, and uh, four. My four aunties and I are very close. You know, I've never really lived with them, um, except one of my aunts lives in Australia now. But we 
keep in contact, all of us. And I think that culture came from my grandmother. She's like re- truly the matriarch of our family and um, very a very joyful woman, a very um, uh, fun and um, warm person who, uh, you know, instilled that culture in all of us. So, um, you know, m- there's mum, but her sisters, her two elder sisters are also really big maternal figures in my life. My grandmother is a really big, important person in my life. And her younger twin sisters are almost like my big sisters. Um, and I think that that kind of feeling of all of us being together is a vibe we have and we've shared with, you know, my daughter and my brother's daughter as well. So it's it's kind of a fun, a very girl power family. Sounds, I would say. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it. And, and are you able to obviously do like what we're doing, you know, is obviously catching up on Zoom? Do, is that how you obviously yeah. communicate with everybody? Yeah, we do. My grandmother, um, she had a birthday um, when we did lockdown last year and one of the grandchildren organised a Zoom and there were, I think, 27 people on the Zoom. Um, My dad organises an international book club, an international science club, an international poetry club, and he has, you know, tens, 20, 30, 40, even more people from around the world, from our family, from our friends uh, join in, you know, we are scattered from all over the world. Mum said she knows French because my brother and I were both born in France. Yeah. We have family in um, Iran. We have family, a lot of family in the US. We have a lot of family in Europe. And um, so, yeah, we the Zoom thing has been good for us. Mm. You, you obviously, prior to this, though, must have done a lot of travelling to see all your family. That's right. We do. Yeah, yeah. And it's a priority. Mm. That's what happens when, you know, this sort of pandemic takes away a lot of family time. It does make you focus on the family you've got in the country where you are, which is a positive on one side. But on the flip side, when you've got family overseas, it makes it really difficult and you've got to just go that extra mile to connect with everybody, which isn't so easy on a day-to-day basis because your life gets really busy. That's what travel, that's the beauty of travel. You can focus on your family while you're with them. That is true, but um, as it is, we need to enjoy the benefit of Zooming or any any situation that's mm. happening at the present time. We need to take advantage and not focus on what we are losing, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, we can see uh, our family in all parts of the world. Uh, so that is a good advantage, which we never had this opportunity. For instance, when I was living in France with two children, it was only a matter of writing letter to family mm. or time to time uh, telephoning, which telephoning wasn't as easy as now. So um, we just coming back to basic um, at the present time. And we have got this facility, which is great. We can talk, we can see each other. And um, I am I am not complaining, but I am worried about the situation for people which they haven't got friends and family close and they haven't got facility to uh, connect to each other like us. Mm. I am worried about them. Many of those group of people are everywhere. They haven't got people. They haven't got family. And they are not familiar with the modern um, facility either. 
Mm. That is very difficult for them. Mina, can I ask you, what was it like for you and your family in Iran before immigrating to Australia? Very good life. Very good life. It, we were, my husband had a very good job in university. I had a very good job in uh, that center. And uh, my children were uh, in very good school until uh, new regime. And uh, then my husband realized the future is not going to be very good in Iran for my children. So he decided we come to, uh, he finishes his study and we lived for some years in France. Uh, and he went for a seminar conference, international conference. Somebody, some of those uh, people who attended, um, or if I be precise, his um, previous supervisor uh, suggested if he wants to go anywhere from Iran to somewhere, it would be Australia. Mm-hmm. And in that uh, symposium, uh, Hashem was uh, get a job and very lovely and easy, we came to Australia. We were one of those lucky people, mm-hmm. immigrant, to, uh, immigrant to Australia, with job, with very welcome from ambassador in Iran. And uh, we arrived without any hassle in very dignity and lovely. Oh, that wonderful. That's so nice to hear because when you hear that someone leaves when there's a new regime and it's it's a war-torn country at the time, it's it's reassuring to hear that you left and were welcomed in the same regard, you know, so you've got nice memories on both sides yes. because yes. Um, you left and you knew you were coming to stability and when you came you were welcomed, which is just so lovely to hear. Yes, yes. Um, I, I haven't, obviously I cannot say when we arrived in Australia, I didn't miss my family, mm, I didn't miss my course. country or friends or anything, but I was so busy to provide comfort and a good life for children and help my husband as well. So husband and I together, uh, we worked very hard. We were together to organize and provide nice life for Bahar and Johnny. That's lovely. And Bahar, what do you remember about leaving Iran and then coming to Australia? Do you, do you have vivid memories of that time? I do. I was seven and a half, so it was like, you know, you're fully mm. formed in your um, – I was – it's funny because now that I'm older um, and I'm a mother, I can see that my mother – absorbed so much of the trauma and the change and the stress that was going around us. But my mom was 28 when mm. we came. So and that's the extraordinary thing. Like mm. she was a 28-year-old with a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. Which that is she sort was of like a baby through. now. Like in this day and age, 28 is like a baby. A baby. And, you know, we were in a war. Uh, we were in an Islamic revolution. And there were things that were changing around us so fast, so a lot. Um, And she was kind of buffering that. So for me, from that moment on, I picked up on mum's cue of whatever chaos is going on outside, it's what you do internally Mm. that writes the story. And mum has an amazing ability to uh, bypass the noise of chaos and turn inwards and say, okay, 
what am I in control of and what, what, what can I do with the situation that I have? And I saw that as a seven-year-old um, and I just plugged into mum's optimism and excitement uh, rather than the chaos and the fear and the sadness. Um, subsequently, I've kind of gone, well, maybe I've internalised a few, you mm. know, I find excitement and um, uh, I misread chaos as a result of that. But it's also been fantastic as a survival mechanism. Like 100%. When things are really down, I can reframe very, very quickly. Um, so that's what I remember. But like mom, I remember very vividly the joy of reuniting with my dad when we landed in Australia. And we arrived in Perth. And the thing that I remember the most clearly is the colour of the sky and the kind of infiniteness of the blue sky of Australia. And so that day was so many things. It was my family being reunited. It was me being with my dad dad again. And he is an incredibly adaptable and very modern thinking man as well. And I remember the first thing he said to us is, Let's go get you each a bike and let's go get you each shorts and T-shirts. You're Australian now. <laughs> that was the first thing that we did <laughs> and and off we went. So mum's right. We, had, we emigrated with dignity. We emigrated, uh, you know, with the uh, comfort of dad having already been in Australia in a job. He had a home ready for us. Um, but... It's only in like, you know, subsequent years that you, and as you have a child yourself that you go, oh, we navigated some crocodile infested waters. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and also you kind of, you think back and when you're a seven-year-old, you, you don't have the same filter that you do when you're older. And it is amazing when you do become a parent and you have that responsibility over somebody else, you realize the magnitude of what your parents have sheltered from you. Like my dad yes. immigrated here when he was 12 and he continues to tell our stories and I think it's important that he does. And when my kids are sort of old enough, I'll make sure that he does the same for them. But it is amazing how when you look back, you go, wow, would I be able to do that as a parent? Would I be able to have that same strength as, amazing. as the grandparent generation has? Um, and it's it is an incredible. There are so many incredible stories, but it is yeah. it's amazing to hear how you got a bike, shorts, and t shirt. It's like okay, yeah, Australia now. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, one of the things that like, I'll say to you is, I remember the first time. This is such a funny kind of juxtaposition. I remember the first time I took Lily to Disneyland in America, and I think she was like four and a half or something, and I was there by myself, and I met a girlfriend of mine with her daughter at the same age and we stayed up for the nine o'clock fireworks and I remember I had to get Lily ready for the fireworks to be exciting and this crowd yeah. at night and then loud noise to be exciting and that was fireworks in Disneyland that I had to navigate <laughs> my mom had to navigate us having rucksacks ready with like torches and radios and food in case we got bombed and she made that sound exciting mm. and that seemed like it was an adventure and fun so you know when you're a kid you look up to the adult you look to their face you look to their energy to to decide mm. what's happening yes and so 
you know, that's that's never ended. Like mum and I, in all of my disasters in life and in all of the good times in my life, I'll look at her and I'll just look in her eyes and I'll go, okay, synchronize our watches. I know what mood, you know, or what energy I need to take into this situation. And that, you know, I think that's from a long, long time ago. What a What a wonderfully resilient mother you have. And obviously, you know, you look up to her. And she's obviously giving you the most amazing guidance in your life, obviously, as well. Yes, she definitely has. And, you know, we've certainly had our arm wrestles over the years. We're very similar in a lot of ways, aren't we, Mummy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always say yes to you, don't yeah. I? <laughs> don't dare say no to your daughter. It's usually the uh, other way around. I'm talking about telling a story. Um, I believe story is a very important part of our life, whether we are in bad situation or good situation, or if we want to tell somebody, our children, grandchildren, not directly, through a story we can tell them. And they realize, um, and it is, is, it is fascinating for them. They want to know what is the end of a story. And um, I tried with my grandchildren. I tried with Lily. Lily now is 11, almost 11. But still, when she sees me, she says, Mimi, can you please give me a, tell me a story? Mm-hmm. Funny story. Sad, sad story, I don't say, but mm. funny story, but meaningful. Sometimes I make this story ah. because I want to pass a message. And I do that the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I make very good relationship through a story with my grandchildren. And I think um, made a foundation, very strong foundation through a story, whether it was a little bit fabrication in their story um, to tell my children as well. And example, different example through their story. So that, that is very good. Uh, tools for communication, for giving hope to people. And um, I, I use that technique. That's very good. That's good advice. Good, yeah, I was going to say good, good skill. You've obviously got a wonderful skill that way. And obviously part of the schooling that you did originally, that obviously, you know, obviously helped you to be able to, you know, be Certainly. able to, yeah, to set that for, for, as you say, for your grandchildren. I think it's wonderful to create mm-hmm. stories. I wish I could. I just read stories, but it's good <laughs> yes. to create stories. That's I think that's reading, wonderful. Because my reading wasn't good. Maybe my, because my reading wasn't very good and it was boring. If I wanted Try to, to s- read a story, yes. it was boring for whoever is listening. Yes. Then I used your my imagination. Imagination and verbally I passed that message. Oh, that's wonderful. I think that's why, I mean, my grandparents did the same. They would make up stories and they're stories that I still remember, not exactly to the, to the, to the word, but maybe that's why because, yes, English obviously wasn't their first language either and they learned it very late in life. And that obviously gets me onto a question, how did you navigate coming to a country where you didn't know the language? And, yes, you were 28 and still very young, but you still had young kids as well, to help manage them and learning a brand new language in a brand new country as well. Yes, it was um, difficult, but because my motivation was very strong, 
when we came, Hashem, my husband, went for a geological um, traveling in far away from Canberra. And I am sorry, in Perth, uh, far away from Perth. And we had very, very, we made very nice friends uh, in Perth with um, Lady and Alf and Chris. They were so lovely. And they look after, after the school, from, uh, look after my children. And I went two months for full-time English course. Right. And before, until my English get better, uh, I use dictionary. I went with Bahar and Johnny for uh, shopping and use dictionary. And I knew some French. Mm. And I use the French language with a little bit of modification um, to do my shopping. And uh, my, my um, biggest success was I wasn't shy. And I wanted to mix with other people. I took to next door neighbor. I, I was very um, active at school with my children and mm. teacher. Doesn't matter. My language was very limited, but I could express myself. Mm. And uh, I had friend, um, one of the teacher in Perth, became one of our friends. And the, the lady uh, who was controlling had the flag for a stop and at school, she became my friend as well. She was a young English lady and um, a guide automobile and children uh, at, after the school. Lollipop oh, the lollipop lady, yeah. <laughs> yes. She became Pam. Pam became my friend. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to have some friend. So I invited, I cooked, I had after the school because she was somebody who could help my children. Mm. I made friendship with a school member, teacher, um, uh, concierge, concierge at the school, what do you say? People at the school who uh, clean and everything else. I, I forgot their names. Anyway, I, I was very kind with them as well. Anybody in related to my children. You were kind to. Well, it, it obviously I, paid I, off in a big way and allowed, right. yeah, allowed you to obviously settle into it. it. Yes, well, you yeah. definitely look like you obviously have always enjoyed life. Wherever, wherever you have obviously been, it, you have made the most of it, obviously. Yes, I, I did. I did. Baha, what was it like for you going into school? Because seven and a half can be quite an impressionable age when I loved it. brand new. I loved it. I love change. And I, I thought going to school in Australia was the most glamorous thing in the whole world. I was really shocked. I had lots of culture shock. I remember very distinctly coming home to tell my mom that everyone is very poor and she said, what do you mean they're poor? And I said, mom, they get their food in this thing that's a box and all they get is a sandwich, an apple and a yogurt. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> because you know, yes, you were, yeah, what did you have in Iran, yeah, obviously? What, what was, hot food. Yeah. yeah. Hot food cafeteria and your, you know, your butler or your maid for uh, whoever was from home would bring it you always had you know people who looked after you generationally like they would mm. be with you for your whole life and they would bring you hot food and you'd have like 
a full meal mm. with like desserts and everything. Oh, that so is I funny. Oh, that is funny. So I thought everyone was poor. And then the other thing was I remember I um, I went to – Australia had this amazing ELC program that we emigrated in 1981. And they had an amazing phonics and mm. ELC program, which I was part of. And I remember a lot of the teaching was through songs. And you know that song, B-I-N-G-O? Mm. Bingo? Mm. Yeah. Yes. So I remember – hearing that song and just mouthing the sounds. And then I remember one day knowing the words and that's when I knew I could speak English. Mm. It's amazing amazing what you remember. Uh Very, very vivid memory you obviously have. Yeah. I had great friends. I'm still friends with my first friend, my first two best friends in Australia. I'm still friends with Risma and Ella and I'm still friends with them, and that was, you know, 30-something years ago. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it's, it's nice because that also helps. It's one, th- you know, when you go through school, yes, we have our ups and downs, but when you come from a completely different country and you have these positive memories, it makes school life and it makes the friendships that you encounter that much stronger because they clearly supported you. You obviously surrounded yourself with strong women. You can obviously pick that. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny because always had strong women, but in work, I've had a lot of male mentors. I don't see, it's it's a weird thing to say, I don't see age in people and Mm. I don't see sex in people. So I don't see a difference between men and women. It's not how I filter the world. And I don't see age as a filter. I've always had friends who are a lot older than me, a lot older than me. And I've had people who have been a lot younger than me and I can enjoy them all. And the same with, I still have a ton of male friends. I would say 10 really close male Mm. friends that I would speak to every month at least, some weekly, some, you know, every second day. Um, and I just, and I remember even my ninth birthday party. I don't know, mum, if you remember, I only invited boys. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Um, not you were quite, dis- you were quite, yeah, you were quite disturbed by it. But, I'm sure. I can imagine. But sure. the thing is, I didn't see the, di- I don't see the difference. It's like you're a friend and a lot of, um, my dearest friends have been boys and they still are. And it's same with bosses. So whilst I grew up in a family of girl power, I think that's what's made me trust men and like men because my dad and my brother are really good guys Mm -hmm. and very, like very supportive of strong women. And that's always been the culture of our family. And so for me, men are trustworthy and, you know, I've got great male friends and great male bosses and, and it's easy to mix with them. So I think that that kind of is actually a flow on from the girl power stuff. That's great. <laughs> I, I, that was actually one of my questions I, I did see where the majority of your mentors are more male than female. So obviously they've they've been good to you. I, I wondered whether it's more, uh, and I know that's a terrible thing to say, you know, a women threatened by your security, your power. No. They just happen to be obviously yeah. good mentors. Yeah, because, you know, don't forget in the time that I've grown up in my corporate career, most of the C-suite jobs were men. Mm. And and so it, it was easier to find a male mentor than a female mentor. If there was a female mentor to have, I found her 
and I made her part of my life. But there were way more men in corporate. There were way more men in business. Mm. And so, you know, that that's how it felt. If there were more C-suite women, then, yeah, I would have probably gone there. Well, I was wondering that, again, that was one of my other questions, <laughs> was how, you know, you were a very young GM, uh, I think, for Gucci, how yeah. did how did you manage that? You know, being so young, um, you know, being in in a very you know male dominated pa- male dominated but very powerful position, obviously, and being so young, you know, and having been, were you able to be heard and listened to and taken quite seriously? Um, definitely, it, I mean, it was a, an amazing opportunity, but I was quite highly qualified. I got an MBA when I was 21. Yes. And so I think that opened a lot of doors for me that it wouldn't have because I always had the ambition and the energy and the personality to be quite forthright like mum, like mum, exactly as mum says, you know, I, I watched and I did. You catch more bees with honey. You make people your friend. Mm-hmm. You become professionally curious about people. You welcome people into your life. Those are all life skills I learned mm. watching mum do that. So mm. I was always like that. So by the time I was 24, I had an MBA, I'd had great male mentors who'd opened a lot of doors. And when I met the then CEO of the business and he offered me the job as the GM, he he just saw me as good enough. And one of my biggest mentors is John McGrath. And he, I remember him distinctly saying to me, and I remembered this forever, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a wonderful saying, that it shouldn't be just age-related. Age it it should be, as you say, if you're good enough to do the job, you're good enough. And, you know, now with digital, there are way smarter 24-year-olds than I ever was at 24. There are <laughs> so millionaire, billionaire, mm, yeah. uh, innovators, entrepreneurs yes. that are like – running multi-million dollar corporations with hundreds of designers, developers under them. Mm. It's such proof that if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yes, yes, definitely not age-related. And I think you can leave yourself behind if you have that mentality with people going into just any situation, not just business. I think it's a lesson from your mom and yourself that if you go into a situation with a positive filter and – a happy filter, you tend to get that back more so than the the other way around. And I think it's a really nice message that you've had that in your career because it can often go the other way. I mean, I've been surrounded by a lot of female leaders and I found- Yes, you have. Yeah, (laughs) and not the best. I've learned from them, which is important. You've always got to learn. But, yes, I did find that when I finally had a male editor of a magazine, it was like, the, you know, it was almost like heaven because it was just there was no competition. But it is nice to hear that if you found a female entrepreneur, you befriended her rather than the other way around, than looking at her like, a comp- like competition. I'm still friends with my year six teacher. I was friends with my principal of my primary school. I'm just like mum, exactly the same philosophy. I, I don't look at age. I don't look at um, gender. I, I look at the, the person and exactly like mum, I do the same with Lily. You know, I make it my business to know who the people that can help my daughter out are mm. and I befriend them and I bring them into our lives and shower them with gifts and, you know, do everything that I can to pave the way for her 
to have a smoother, more enriched life. And, um, and you know, I try not to look at, it, at, at other people, women or otherwise, as competition. I try to stick in my own lane. That's very good. If I may add something about Bahar, and uh, you are thinking about Bahar was 24 and he, she was the general manager of company like Gucci. In Iran, children, doesn't matter what is their age, they are member, important member of family. Mm. They have got responsibility. If, if um, they have got brother uh, younger than themselves or sister, they look after them. So children grow up with the adults in the family. They are not baby. Mm. Yeah. They, they get all the attention and love, but they are part of discussion. If we make any decision, we check, we used to check with our children. For I remember we went to the party and uh, the owner of the party had a boat. And uh, we were impaired and that river um, was beautiful river and they had a, uh, a boat. So, uh, my son, who was five and a half, something like that, or six, I said to um, owner of the house and said, oh, this is very nice boat. When we pay off our car, my daddy is going to buy a boat. <laughs> so he knew mm. we have got payment on our car <laughs> so we cannot buy the boat. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yes, because we were so open to our children. Mm. We play with them. We talk to them. We ask their opinion for doing something, changing cast, decorating the house. Their opinion was important. And what we teach our children, be proud of whoever you are. And that was my, my whatever I want to teach my children, if it was only important thing was to teach them be proud of yourself. Don't be arrogant, but be proud of yourself. Mm. And because you are coming from another country, it doesn't mean there is any difference between you and other people. And your quality, your education, your background, your culture, mixing with Australian culture, new country would be amazing. So you are amazing children. You are amazing adults. You are amazing young people. All the time, we bring our children like that the same way my mother did. It's important. It's an important one you've passed down to every generation. That's right. That is right. Baha, what change did you see in your mum when you came to Australia? Because obviously she's quite resilient, but there would have been some change and obviously in career and things like that. So how did you how did you see that change in your mom when you first came? I saw a change in my parents. I, I guess, you know, life in France, you know, we were really young. Iran was wonderful and then it wasn't. And then when we came to Australia, it was hustle. Mm. Like it was, there was no room for fantasy island like we everyone was focused johnny and i were focused on integrating on learning a language becoming australian my father was working so hard 
And my mom was working so hard adapting, you know, she studied nursing and then she became a very successful real estate agent. So she had, you know, two big career pivots, massive, massive. And we were just all so busy, so busy, so um, focused on taking advantage of every opportunity because we were really aware that it was a blessing, but also just we all had massive drive, personal and as a family. Wouldn't you say, Mum? True. Very true. We were very busy. But in uh, meanwhile, we were very close. We support each other. We didn't ignore each other. We were still had uh, time, had time for each other, no matter how busy. Yeah. And and obviously that's still obviously what you do now, no matter how busy your lives are, you obviously seem to have a lot of time for each other, which that's just wonderful these days. That oh, is, really? That is. How, how did you go, though, from one career, like to pivot to such another completely different career, obviously in real estate? How, how did that come about for you? Always I loved people and I loved to have communication with them and service their need as a nurse, as a mm. teacher, as a um, manager of organization, it was service provider. I was a service provider and I loved pe- people and um, uh, real estate is very good um, profession. You get everything. Uh, plus, very rewarding as well. When you work hard, mm. you get the result. Yes, when you and d- definitely you have to work hard in real estate. You, you get the result as well. Mm. Baha, how did you actually start in the beauty industry? So my first job after uni was with Clarence. Um, so it was with Trimex. The Carriol family were the importers of that and they were amazing. And I was assistant to the national training manager. Uh, I always loved the cosmetic industry. It was my passion when I did my master's. Uh, I did my MBA business plan, which was my key uh, dissertation on the cosmetic industry. While I was doing my undergraduate degree, I went to Bond University and you can do three semesters a year there. But in between, I had a job. I went and studied a course uh, on cosmetics in Brisbane. So I used to drive from the Gold Coast to Brisbane to do this course. And then I got a job with Parfum Givenchy and I was the traveler for Gold Coast and Brisbane for them. And I so I did three semesters a year and I worked for them. And it was just in my blood, mm. in my bones. It's like, and so um, the first, so that was my first job. And then I went to work with John McGrath and then I went and worked at Gucci. And after Gucci, um, I worked for a really short period of time, maybe nine months for, do you remember OneTel? Oh, yeah. yes. 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 And that, that was quite the experience, but it was amazing because I got headhunted to that job. And while I was at OneTel, I got headhunted to the Estee Lauder position and I was GM for two of their brands. It was Bobby Brown and Origins. Mm. And I did all of my interviews with New York. And then I got flown to Singapore for, I think my, I don't know, seventh or eighth interview. And I'd never met my CEO in Australia in all of this time. And that was a difficult relationship. She she was not happy to have a 27-year-old mm. installed 
in that position hmm. because she had joined the company as a 27-year-old receptionist back I, in the day. I read that. And so, yes. for, mm, so for her to have me installed as a 27-year-old brand GM, mm. uh, we we definitely, um, I, I tasted my first experience of adversarial uh, female management mm. rather than mentorship or it was it was quite a strange experience but funnily enough we found our way and um after I left the company she was very kind to me <laughs> oh really oh that's good well, I guess obviously she ended up obviously realizing your wonderful ability and you know I mean instead of yes obviously she felt that you didn't deserve your stripes but clearly you were very capable of doing that position uh, yeah, I guess uh, I think that was it. And also I had very, very clear boundaries with her. And I think she was unfamiliar with other people, particularly younger women setting boundaries with her. And my boundaries with her were watertight. Mm. <laughs> but I think it's a good Again, lesson. I learned that from my mama. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say life lessons, life lessons from Mina. Maybe, you know, maybe we should get a book going. There's a book in that. Yeah, there is a book, for sure. Definitely. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you have a mother and daughter story that you would like to share, send us a DM on Instagram at Mothers and Daughters Pod. If you loved this episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a new episode. Spread the love and share the podcast with your mum or sister or friend. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. See you next week and don't forget to call your mum.